The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. We are glad you are with us on a Thursday night. The players, round one, all but in the books. There are a few guys that did not finish uh, on the course. They will finish tomorrow morning. But we have, what, 11 players right now, four under or better, as they were just slicing and dicing up the stadium course today. We saw a hole-in-one on 17 very, very early this morning. You had a little bit of everything. We've obviously had continuing coverage here on 1010XL really since 6 a.m. this morning. When Jeff Prosser hit the radio airwaves, we will continue that tonight and, of course, all day tomorrow and then coverage on both Saturday and the final round on Sunday. But here on Hacker After Dark, we're obviously going to dedicate a lot of time to the National Football League, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and a little college football spring football style coming up in about 20 minutes. My man Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. The guy is brutally honest, and that's why we love having him on. If you don't want to know the answer, don't ask him the question. Uh, Chad Forbes can rub some people the wrong way. I kind of like him because he's got a lot of opinions that do rub people the wrong way, but he sticks by those opinions. So we'll talk Jaguars. We'll talk free agency with Chad Forbes coming up in 20 minutes. And at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, my friend Ryan Roberts, riseandraft.com. We'll talk Anthony Richardson. We'll talk the Jaguars and the NFL Draft, which is seven weeks from tonight, 49 days. To put that in a little perspective, the Jaguars season ended against Kansas City 47 days ago. The NFL Draft is 49 days from tonight. Translation, tomorrow you're at the halfway point between the loss to Kansas City and the National Football League draft, which ironically will be held this year in Kansas City, Missouri. But as we always do to kick it off on Hacker After Dark, we do have a big deal of the night. And Anthony Salazar, who's in for Dylan Denmark, let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Okay, so next Monday, NFL free agency will not be near as active for the Jacksonville Jaguars as it was a year ago. Isn't it crazy that we are still less than a year ago since Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, Brandon Sheriff, Foley Fadakasi, Foye Oluwakan, Darius Williams, Arden Key, all signed on the dotted line with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I remember it was Players Week last year, as a matter of fact. We were out at the Players when I was still on primetime before we launched Hacker After Dark, and we were out at the Players as it just came in nonstop. I think the first one was Brandon Sheriff. I think the second one was Foyer Lewican. I think Christian Kirk was third. I think Zay Jones and Evan Ingram both happened that evening, and it was a couple of days later where you got Arden Key, you got Darius Williams. My thought process last night, and we talked about this, was the worst free agent signings in Jaguar history. 
and if Shaquille Griffin was on that list. We compared Shaq Griffin to the likes of Nick Foles, compared Shaq Griffin to the likes of Hugh Douglas, Jerry Porter, some folks wrote in Julius Thomas on text message at 641-1010. We got a lot of Aaron Ross, although I don't put Aaron Ross in that category because Aaron Ross was just a guy that ran his mouth after he left here. He wasn't a great player before he arrived. I don't think Shaq Griffin was the worst free agent to ever sign here in Jacksonville, but I do think he was in the top five for what you paid him and what you got productivity-wise. I think he was behind Hugh Douglas, Jerry Porter, and Nick Foles. There's probably an argument that Shaq Griffin is the fourth worst free agent to ever sign here in Jacksonville. Now, that was the glass half empty look last night. Let's go glass half full tonight. And prior to free agency beginning on Monday, let's talk about the best free agents to ever sign here in Jacksonville. And my question to you, Jaguar fans, tonight on the text line, designed by Lifetime Enclosures, are any of last year's free agents already on the best free agent signing list in Jaguar history? So let's think about this. Let me throw some names out there to you. We'll start with Jimmy Smith, all right? But Jimmy Smith is a guy that I don't say was a full-blown free agent because he was an under-the-radar guy that had never really gotten a shot in Dallas, never really gotten a shot in Philadelphia. People weren't clamoring. People did not know the name Jimmy Smith when he was signed. So even though he was technically a free agent, That, to me, is always a gray area with him because he was as under the radar as you could possibly get before he arrived here in Jacksonville and became one of the best Jaguars that has ever worn that uniform. So now that we have Jimmy Smith out of the way, let me give you a couple of more guys that would qualify for the best free agent signings in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Keenan McCardell is absolutely on that list. Now, Keenan McCardell was the equivalent of the Cleveland Browns' second, third wide receiving option in the mid-'90s, was a guy that really wasn't given a fair look in Cleveland, had bounced around, was with Washington beforehand. He comes to Jacksonville as a free agent, much like, say, a Dennis Northcutt, a Laurent Robinson. But unlike Northcutt and unlike Robinson – McCardell came here and flourished and turned into one of the best Jaguars and clearly one of the best Jaguar receivers that we've ever had here. So if you want to sit there and tell me Keenan McCardell is the best free agent signing in Jaguar history, I would not argue with you. He is 100% in the conversation. I'm very biased here. I'll admit it. But you hear him every day on XL Primetime. He's one of my best buds here at the station. That's Leon Searcy. I've done radio with Leon Searcy for years on XL Primetime on the fifth quarter. I break bread with Leon Searcy at local cigar bars throughout town. And, yes, we've shared a glass or two of brown water together. So if I'm biased, that's fine. I'll openly admit that. But you cannot uh, deny the fact that Leon Searcy – is still the best right tackle the Jacksonville Jaguars have ever had and was an absolute ferocious monster during his time here in Jacksonville after he came over from Pittsburgh, protecting the blind side of left-handed quarterback Mark Brunell 
in the late 90s. So much like McCardell, if you want to tell me Leon Searcy is the best free agent the Jaguars have ever signed, there is absolutely no argument there. He's in the conversation. Calais Campbell, much, much, much more recent. Now, Calais Campbell was only here, what, three years? 2017, 2018, 2019. And the interesting thing about Calais Campbell is he spent like nine years in Arizona before he came to Jacksonville. I think he was 29 or 30 years old before he even arrived here in Jacksonville. But that guy was worth every penny the Jacksonville Jaguars gave him. In three years, you could argue Calais Campbell entered the conversation for one of the best defensive linemen in Jaguar history. What he did in the community, the mayor of Saxonville, as beloved as he still is now, and he hasn't even been here for the last three seasons, Calais Campbell was a dynamite free agent signing. Absolutely dynamite. Those are probably the three. McCardell, Searcy, Calais Campbell. I think other guys in the conversation for some of the best free agents the Jaguars have ever brought in, Kyle Brady, Mike Peterson, Paul Pazlesny. I'll give an honorable mention to Cinderic Marks and Malik Jackson. The Jaguars have done some good business in free agency. They have brought in guys that have not only helped them, they have brought in guys that have changed the franchise. Which brings me back to last year, right? It's only one year in. So none of the guys last year can replace at the top of the list a McCardell, a Searcy, a Calais Campbell. But, but is it crazy to think that Christian Kirk, that Evan Ingram could very easily be in that conversation of one of the best free agents the Jaguars have ever signed? if they do in 2023 what they did in 2022. The Jaguars have never signed a guy like Christian Kirk that has come in right off the bat and given you 80-plus catches for over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. If Christian Kirk does that again, he is 100% in the conversation as one of the top five free agents the Jaguars have ever signed. Evan Ingram as well. Evan Ingram comes in here in one year and he sets the franchise single-season record by tight ends for receptions and reception yardage. Evan Ingram was a beast last year. And in one year's time, Ingram has gone from a guy who some of you, Jaguar fans, you can admit it, it's okay to be wrong from time to time. Not all of you listening right now, but clearly there's some of you listening right now that wondered, why are they signing Evan Ingram? Why are they signing the guy in New York that can't stay healthy? Why are they signing the guy in New York that drops passes? Why are they signing the guy in New York that has maybe gone back and forth with that fan base a little bit? Why do you need to bring somebody like that in? And all he did was catch 70-plus balls for over 750 yards. Again, single-season records for the tight end position in Jaguar history and earned the Jaguars franchise tag in one year's time. An amazing season for Evan Ingram. You know, Foyer Oluokun comes in here in one year, one year, and he leads the National Football League in tackles. Tackled the most people in the NFL his first year in Jacksonville. If you want to bring up Mike Peterson, 
and you want to bring up Paul Pazlozny as some of the best free agents the Jaguars have ever brought in, I agree with you. They are. But they're joined on that list now by, by Foye Lewican after only one year. Brandon Sheriff doesn't play the sexiest position at the right guard spot on the offensive line, but he was every bit as good as a Zach Wiegert was back in the day, a Chris Naoli was back in the day. If you want to single out interior offensive linemen, Sheriff absolutely is one of the best interior offensive linemen the Jacksonville Jaguars have ever brought in. You know, you think about last year's free agent hall, and we're comparing four or five or six of those guys from last year to some of the best free agents the Jaguars have ever brought in in 28 years of playing football here in Jacksonville. The free agent hall last year was amazing. That's a term that I don't like to use very often, particularly when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, because for 14 of the last 15 years, their play, their performance, their decisions has been far, far from amazing. But the free agent hall last year was just that. It was amazing. And Kirk and Ingram and Sheriff and Aluikin all can already be, to me, top 15 free agent signings in Jaguar history after only one year. They keep it up. They keep this pace going. Yeah, you will be talking about those guys being some of the best of all time here in Jacksonville. I also want to spend a little bit of time tonight on free agents not named Arden Key and Jawan Taylor here in Jacksonville. We have spent so much time on Evan Ingram, and now he's been franchised, and on Arden Key and Jawan Taylor. And those are the two biggest. I'm not going to deny that they're not. Those are the two biggest guys, the two probably most important guys that are going to hit the market on Monday. And I think at this point, it's trending towards losing Jawan Taylor. I think Arden Key's probably 50-50. I do think Arden Key's going to get some offers. It's just a matter if the Jaguars want to match said offers. But what about the other guys that are going to hit free agency next Monday? What about Andrew Wingard? Dewey Wingard. You can admit it. There were some times when Andrew Wingard was a rookie or a second-year player. You probably didn't like the guy. You probably thought he was too slow, wasn't athletic enough. What's this guy doing? He's out of position. He can't cover that guy. can't cover this guy. Oh, no, Andrew Wingard's coming in the game. All that stopped last year. Andrew Wingard not only proved his worth here in Jacksonville, he became a fan favorite, which is incredibly hard to do because he was a punchline his first couple of years in the league. Andrew Dewey Wingard went from a punchline by the fans to a fan favorite. And to me, it would be a shame if he leaves in free agency. Will there be a team out there that will offer him more money than Jacksonville? I told you this when the season ended. Wingard is the one that's really interesting. And I'll tell you why he's really interesting. Could he get $400,000, dollars $600,000 in another NFL market with another team? Maybe. But is Andrew Wingard in Arizona or is Andrew Wingard in Buffalo? as big a deal as Andrew Wingard is in Jacksonville? 
marketing opportunities, fan support, things he does in the community. I just get the sense that if you're Andrew Wingard and his agent, now look, if some team comes in and offers him a million plus more than the Jaguars are offering him, well, that's a different story. At that point, that's a different conversation. But if the money is reasonable, and in the NFL, I think anything 500000 or less is pretty comparable, do you want to leave Jacksonville, where you've become a fan favorite and a household name, and go to Buffalo or Arizona or Cleveland where they don't really know who you are, where you would have to start from scratch and, again, earn the fans' trust like you have here in Jacksonville? That, to me, is an interesting one. It'll be very curious to see how that plays out. Chris Manhurts, Dan Arnold, also free agents. You know, we spent so much time on Evan Ingram. Two more tight ends are hitting the market on Monday, Manhurts and Arnold. I think Arnold's probably gone. I would think Arnold's going to get an offer on the market somewhere. Arnold's a pretty good player, just hasn't had a lot of opportunity here in Jacksonville. Chris Manhurts is 30-plus years old. Chris Manhurts is important to what the Jaguars did. Go back to that Charger game. Go back to fourth and one, the Travis Etienne play that won the game for the Jaguars. You know one of the key blocks on that play? was Chris Manhurts. Again, it's not the sexiest thing out there. It's not going to be the most notoriety out there. But Manhurts is good for this running game. And Manhurts occasionally will catch the ball down the field. If the Jaguars want him back at his age, I wonder if Manhurts would be willing to take a little bit of a discount to come back. We'll see. Marvin Jones Jr. is another one. He is set to hit the market on Monday. I would think Marvin Jones is probably gone. At best, he would be your fourth or fifth wide receiving option again. You got Calvin Ridley, you got Christian Kirk, you got Zay Jones, you potentially have Jamal Agnew. Let me say this about Marvin Jones. If he has played his final game here in Jacksonville, and we don't know yet, but let's assume that he has for argument's sake, that guy deserves a big thank you. For coming in at his age, 31, dealing with the nonsense of Urban Meyer and that thing in 2021, and by the way, being the best receiver the Jaguars had in 2021, and then some of the plays he made in 2022, including the touchdown against Baltimore with under 20 seconds to go, Marvin Jones has been very, very good for his two-year stint here in Jacksonville. And if it does come to an end in free agency, that would be unfortunate, but he has certainly been a guy that I'll remember as a Jaguar for a while for what he had to put up with in 2021 and what he added to the team in 2022. Then you got guys like Adam Gostas on the D-line, Dewan Smoot coming back from the Achilles injury. They are both scheduled to become free agents next week. Smoot, do you bring him back on a one-year deal to try to get healthy from the Achilles? That was brutal for Smoot. He would have made good money this offseason. He tore his Achilles around Christmas time, so who knows if he'll be ready until maybe October I mean, a big 300-pound defensive lineman like that, you never know how the Achilles is going to respond. Gostas is a rotational guy, but an important one. You need bodies on that D-line. You could do a lot worse than Adam Gostas. I hope the Jaguars can find a way to bring him back. I just wanted to point all these guys out because for every time we've talked Evan Ingram and Arden Key and Jawan Taylor, we haven't talked Andrew Wingard and Marvin Jones and Dan Arnold 
and Chris Manhurts and Adam Gostas and Dewan Smoot. Corey Peters is another one set to hit the market next week. And we'll see how many of those guys the Jaguars can retain. Again, Monday, the negotiation period begins. Wednesday, Penn can meet paper on contracts as the NFL League year begins Wednesday, March the 15th. It is a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida. We're glad you're with us, Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Coming up next, I love the conversation. Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. He's covered the league for a long time. He doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot. Don't ask him his opinion if you don't want to know the truth. I'm going to ask him flat out about Jawan Taylor, about Arden Key, about the Jaguars coming into the 2023 season, and we'll take a look around the rest of the National Football League. Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter is next on Hacker After Dark. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The scouting combine in the rearview mirror. We are inside of a week until NFL free agency. That is hard to believe. The NFL offseason is in full swing. With that, let's get one of my guys, Chad Forbes, at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. Don't ask his opinion if you don't want to get the straight story because he does not sugarcoat a whole lot, and that's why we love having him on here in the city of Jacksonville. Chad, how you doing, man? New league year is upon us. If you don't want the heat, stay out the kitchen. That's exactly right. You know, look, I want to talk Jaguars. I want to talk free agency, but I want to start with Anthony Richardson. Chad, you've seen a lot of guys over the years perform well at the Combine. Richardson's performance, they're already calling it one of the best quarterback performances of all time. What did you make of Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis, and what do you think that does to his draft prospects at the end of April. It's rare you see a guy have an 80-yard touchdown run as a quarterback, so you knew he was a great athlete. And the numbers he put up were on the level of like an unbelievable defensive end. And he's a different level athlete. He's unrefined as a quarterback at this point. Perhaps he should have stayed in school for another year. But as we get into this kind of silly season and we start to dream on guys, projects in the past have worked like Josh Allen. So if a team buys into his work ethic, he's going to go in the top five. Chad, you look at the quarterbacks, and by the way, C.J. Stroud had an unbelievable performance that no one's really talking about because of Anthony Richardson. When you put those two alongside Bryce Young and Will Levis of Kentucky, how do you assess those four quarterbacks? What would your order be on them right now? I'm Bryce Young, number one. If I've got time and I've got faith in my coaching staff to develop somebody, that Anthony Richardson would be number two. If I want to put a guy in there right away, it's got to be C.J. Stroud. It's interesting, the knock on Stroud is, like, well, he's not a power thrower. And his you know, argument to that question is, yeah, but I get the ball in there accurately. I don't need to drive the ball on a six-yard out route when the guys, you know, if I place the ball perfectly. And then Levis, uh, just not being able to beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State, it really concerns me. I get that he didn't have a great supporting cast at Kentucky this year, I went back and watched the Kentucky, the Tennessee game from 2021, which is probably his best college game. And he's got a big-time arm, but I just got questions with the accuracy. He reminds me a lot of a guy you guys know well in Blaine Gabbert. Oh, yeah, we know him very well. Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. Chad, there's a very strong possibility that one or most likely two of those quarterbacks are going to find their way 
into the AFC South. By all indications, based on mocks that you see, Bryce Young to Houston's a very trendy pick. And I'm hearing a lot of talk about Indianapolis and Shane Steichen being, quote, enamored with Anthony Richardson. Are you hearing the same talk? I don't buy it. I believe the Colts are trying to trade up for Bryce Young in that first overall slot with Chicago and trying to do so in a way that doesn't completely mortgage the future of their franchise. And I'd expect number two on their board, or perhaps number one could be C.J. Stroud. He's just more ready. And I don't think the Colts want to do this uh, this program of we need to develop a guy for a year or two, believe in their roster, and want to compete right away. Chad, a lot has happened with the Jaguars since the last time you and I talked. Evan Ingram gets the franchise tag. Unfortunate they could not work out a long-term deal, but he gets tagged. He'll be back in Jacksonville in 2023. How big is that for Trevor Lawrence and the offense? I mean, it's huge. They've got a lot of weapons now, and everything they've done, they pushed the can, to, can down the road on a couple of the contracts to maximize their cap space. I liked how they brought back Hasty. That was just really smart. Rather than putting the tender on him, which is a big cap hit, they got it lower. They're really trying to go all in and bring back Roy Roberts and Harris. That was a really smart, good move. And I, I actually like the Ingram franchise tag because it's such a deep tight end class that you go into the draft saying, if one of the best players available at 24, say a Dalton Kincaid, we could take a tight end there and you know have him and Ingram kind of be complimentary on the roster for a year and then have the success there at tight end. So franchise tag is probably the ideal situation. It just speaks to how well they did in free agency last offseason. You know, and you follow social media, who knows what to believe. But when somebody tweets something out, you take notice. Evan Ingram's in a rough spot because the franchise tag number on him is a little over $11 million, yet you look at some slot-wide receivers. They're going to be making 3 and $4 million more a year than that. And Evan Ingram has been pretty vocal about, you know, where he sits as a tight end. But really, in this offense, he's almost another wide receiver. You think that could get sticky, uh, you know, as far as him signing the franchise tag, that sort of thing? You know, over the last few weeks, every media report you read was Ingram really wanted to go back to Jacksonville. And he had more value to the Jaguars than he did to another organization. So I think him making $11.5 million, which is, you know, $2.5 million raise or so from last year, is pretty good value for him as a player. And if he's smart, he'll try to get a get a long-term deal done there. And if he doesn't, then he'll hit the market next offseason. But, you know, it is tough, I guess. You know, the slot receivers got a little bit overpaid. You guys probably drove that a little bit with you know, the Christian Kirk contract, even if he's not a pure slot wide receiver. But, you know, I think 11-5 for Ingram, that, that's pretty good value for him. Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Of course, earlier this week, Chad as well, Calvin Ridley, gets reinstated. We have not seen Calvin Ridley on a football field since October of 2021, so who knows what he's going to look like. By all indications, he's in fantastic shape. If he's 75 80% of what he was when he left, what are the Jaguars getting with him? There's some people, and I'm not on high on Ridley as others, that believe that he's a like top 10 wide receiver in the NFL when he's focused and healthy. And he's a 28-year-old player, just had a year off, so maybe there'll be a little rust on the tires. But if you put him in there with Kirk, who I was completely wrong on, and I, I totally admit that guy's he's a stud, and Zay Jones is a very good player. With Ingram, you've got, I mean, I'm not going to say it's one of the best wide receiving cores in the league, but it's got to be top five. It's certainly that, and you don't even mention ETN, and ETN's a guy that he really was a rookie last year, had 1,400 all-purpose yards. Chad, it's amazing. I mean, have you seen a transformation on a roster? I mean, in thanks, or on Thanksgiving, the Jaguars were 4-8 and eight and going nowhere. Then they won six in a row, won a playoff game, and now 
with the rest of the uh, AFC South, the script has completely flipped, man. The Jaguars are the overwhelming favorite going into 2023. It's pretty shocking how quickly it's turned. You bring up the 4-8 and eight start, and that's why having an experienced coach mattered so much. Because it's very easy when you get off to a start like that, you're a little bit of a young team, for people to check out and say, okay, the season's over. And somehow Doug kept that locker room really focused and on point. And it wasn't just, you know, we're going to have to get back in this thing. It was like a focus on every play and each week as its own little aspect. And, yeah, the, ja- the Jaguars have to be the favorites in the AFC South, especially with the Titans rebuilding. And uh, it's got to be a really exciting time to be a Jaguars fan, which we haven't been able to say for a while. For people that follow Chad on Twitter and NFL Draft Bites, you know that he talks to a lot of guys around the league. Chad, free agency next week. Let's talk about a couple of Jaguars that'll hit the market. Let's begin with Jawan Taylor. What are you hearing? Uh, ascending right tackle is great in pass protection. He's going to get paid a lot of money in free agency. He's going to be 25 years old. Dolphins will be there. Bears. 49ers if they lose Mike McGlinchey. Patriots could get involved. He's going to get 16 to $17 million a year. Potentially up to $40 million guaranteed. That's the contract his agent just negotiated for uh, Jack Conklin in Cleveland who's three or four years older, and people believe that Taylor's a better player than Conklin at this point, and he's obviously younger, so he's going to get a lot of money. If Jawan Taylor leaves, and I think it's a better than 50-50 shot that he does leave Jacksonville, what does that do to the Jaguar O-line? I mean, obviously it hurts, but do you feel Walker Little would be a suitable replacement there at right tackle? Right, and he was drafted by the current GM, so that's got to be the solution at right tackle. They're going to have to find some depth at tackle, though, if they let Jawan Taylor walk. Both players now have had some durability question marks. And we've seen with teams around the league how much not having a competent swing tackle can really derail your season. And that's what Walker Little did was when Cam Robinson went down, he stepped up, and that was huge. So they're going to definitely have to backfill that swing tackle role when they lose Jawan Taylor for agency. Another guy set to hit the market next Monday, Arden (coughs) Key. Arden Key's a guy that you don't really hear that much about. It's been all Ingram. It's been all Jawan Taylor. I would love for the Jaguars to be able to find a place for Arden Key and find a contract that's a win-win for both he and the organization. But I would imagine a 27-year-old pass rusher is going to get a lot of attention on the open market as well. I've, I've been an Arden Key truth there for, for years now, and his flight finally came on for him. He really matured, and he's going to get 10 or $11 million a year for agency. I see the Colts, Browns, two teams being very interested. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of phrase and signing the Jaguars are going to have to go to as his roster gets a little bit top-heavy salary structure. you got to unearth the next gem. And you hope Caleb on Chason, the light might come on for him if they lose Arden Key. Chason coming into a contract year if he makes the roster. We'll see what happens there. All right, big picture National Football League. We'll begin with Derek Carr. Uh, signs a four-year deal in New Orleans. Could be worth upwards of 100 and $50 million. What does Derek Carr's arrival do for New Orleans in the NFC? Right now, he's the best quarterback in the division. And on a good day, he's a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. Gives you a chance to win. He's got, you know, doesn't, hasn't won a playoff game, and that's the knock on him. He's still 32 years old. There's a good offensive line there and some receivers to play with. So, yeah, that could be interesting for the Saints. They just seem like they've really maximized their credit card. And at this point, they just have to keep doing it and keep going after guys. And, you know, if Carr doesn't work out, then they're back to square one. But they gave him a lot of money, and good for him on playing hardball with the Raiders. You know, we're hearing all sorts of rumors about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers allowing the New York Jets to uh, talk with Aaron Rodgers. The Jets are between a rock and a hard place now because Derek Carr 
went to New Orleans. If they don't get Aaron Rodgers, then what on earth are the Jets going to do? So how do you think all that works out? Is Aaron Rodgers the next quarterback of the New York Jets? It's, it sounds like it. And if you're an Aaron Shoes at this point, wouldn't you be trying to make sure the team that acquires you gives up as little as possible? And I kind of think that's the posturing he's doing right now. It seems like the breakup's pretty evident with Green Bay, and uh, they'll move on to Jordan Love. And and the last guy, look, is Lamar Jackson uh, with the franchise tag deadline earlier this week. He has been tagged, but we don't know exactly what that means moving forward. We hear Atlanta. We hear other teams are involved with Lamar Jackson in trade conversations. At the end of the day, Chad, after all the tags and negotiations and this, that, and the other, do you think Lamar Jackson has played his final game in Baltimore? I go back and forth on this one because you really never get any intel out of the Ravens. They're a very tight-lipped organization. Now he's got the non-exclusive tag, so he can negotiate with teams. You expect Commanders, Falcons to be interested. Dolphins don't have a first-round pick, but that's obviously where he'd like to go. That's the you know, home base for him. So, you know, it's tough to say, but if a team like the Falcons comes in, you know, Ravens can get the eighth pick plus their first next year, then I think you listen to it. But also, they've had pretty significant extension you know, offers on the table for him, but he's had his eye on that fully guaranteed Deshaun Watson deal, and the Ravens have to go into that level. So maybe if a team does offer him that, they'll take the first-round picks. Final moments here with Chad Forbes. You can follow him on Twitter, at NFL Draft Bites. All right, Chad, free agency on Monday. What are you hearing? What's going to happen early? Every year we see somebody agree to terms five minutes into the window. Who are some of the free agents that will agree to terms early, early next week? Well, being Jaguars fans, you guys know that the teams that are flush with cap room always kind of drive the action. So this offseason, the agents are saying the Bears are going to make decisions on guys. And, you know, teams aren't going to try to match their offers because it's kind of a fool's errand that they've got over $100 million of cap space. So I think you'll see them be very aggressive early. The Browns are going to be very aggressive on the defensive line, especially the interior. The Jaguars aren't going to be big buyers this offseason. Maybe they'll look at a corner for some help and safety, but they're really going to be in the second wave, which is uh, that's a good thing. That means you got talent in your roster. And uh, also a team that could be interested in uh, pretty active is the Giants. They're going to be shopping for a lot of defensive guys, and that linebacker market is really fascinating to watch. Chad Forbes is a terrific follow on Twitter at NFL Draft Bites, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Chad, enjoy free agency. Let's do it again in a couple of weeks. We'll see how the Jaguars fared. That sounds great. Thanks for having me. There you go, Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. And, yeah, it gets underway on Monday with free agency, and I think that's important for Jaguar fans to know that you're not going to wake up Monday morning, and it's not going to be like last year, right? Splash here, splash there, splash here, splash there. I think the one guy you need to keep an eye on on Monday, well, there are a couple, but the one main one is Arden Key. Arden Key is the one that I really can't get a good feel one way or another. Evan Ingram's going to be back, whether it's on a long-term deal or on the franchise tag. I think it's trending towards Jawan Taylor leaving, and I hate to say that because I would love to see Jawan Taylor here but I do think you got to be realistic. It's trending, at least, towards him probably leaving. Arden Key is the guy that I'm going to be curious how active the market is for him. And you'll begin seeing reports. This player offered this. That player offered that. It's going to happen pretty quickly. And Arden Key is the one guy that I'm certainly going to keep an eye on next Monday. A little Andrew Wingard as well, for all the reasons I brought up earlier on here on Hacker After Dark. More on the Jacksonville Jaguars coming up in just a bit. Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft 
draft.com. That's rise, the letter N, draft.com. He's 20 minutes away at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. Mike Huguenin of on3.com. As we'll talk a little spring ball in Gainesville and Tallahassee, Billy Napier and the Gators in spring football right now. Mike Norvell and the Seminoles in spring football right now. We'll talk about that with Mike Huguenin coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. Coming up next, it was um, poetic today at the SEC tournament. The way the Gators season came to an end, it was laughable, quite frankly, and very, very predictable. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. We're glad you're with us. A Thursday evening in Jacksonville, Florida. Round one of the players out at the stadium course at Sawgrass. You got 11 players right now, four under or better including a very, very impressive Chad Ramey, 8-under-64 today. Good grief. Although that 8-under-64 is only good for a one-shot lead as Colin Morikawa, a 7-under-65, right on his heels. You got, let's see, one, two, three, three players at 5-under par, and then you got another, what, handful of guys at 4-under par, A couple of guys that did not shoot it well today, very surprising, and they got their work really cut out for them to make the weekend. Rory McIlroy, good grief. This is just not his course, right? He just struggles here more times than not. Rory, a four-over round of 76. He is certainly in a lot of trouble to make the weekend after that performance. Um, Johnny Vegas, I'm looking for the big names. There's not a lot of big names that severely struggled. Webb Simpson came in with a four-over round of 76. Clearly, Rory McIlroy is the big one, though, that struggled today, and we will see what he can do tomorrow. But he finds himself 12 shots off the pace after round one at the players. More players coverage coming up later on tonight here on Hacker After Dark. And, of course, we'll have you covered all day tomorrow, beginning at 6 a.m. with Jeff Prosser and Dan Hicken on the drill, and also into the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. It is conference tournament week as well, and I got to tell you something. uh, I've had enough of college basketball. All right, I'm going to enjoy Selection Sunday, and the NCAA tournament officially gets underway on Tuesday in Dayton. And by this time next week, we'll be well into the round of 64 next Thursday. But let's take stock at what's happened basically over the last week. My beloved alma mater, the University of North Florida, the Fighting Ospreys, they lose essentially at the buzzer in the A-Sun tournament to Bellarmine to have their season come to an end. Then on Tuesday, Florida State, who had been beating Georgia Tech the entire game, They find a way to lose by a single point on a free throw with under a second to go. And then today, Florida, in overtime, has a one-point lead until Mississippi State just rips their heart out with five seconds to go. So UNF, Florida, and Florida State all lose with under five seconds to go 
ending their seasons. Now, in the Gators' circumstance, there's an outside shot for the NIT or the CBI if they even want to do that. But Florida State season's officially over. UNF season is officially over. This was a mulligan. This was a do-over in the world of basketball locally. Florida State had probably their worst season. Well, it was definitely their worst season under Leonard Hamilton, which goes back two-plus decades, and it had to be one of Florida State's worst basketball seasons ever. UNF struggled. JU didn't even make the Atlantic Sun Tournament. And Florida, in year one under Todd Golden, goes 16-16. and And a big reason why that happened is they lost Colin Castleton for the year with a broken hand a couple of weeks ago. So, was not a good college basketball season. And I do wonder, you know, we're here in Jacksonville. I do wonder if that affects the thought, at least here, about the NCAA tournament next week. I don't know the last time Florida and Florida State both missed the tournament in the same year. I'm willing to bet it's probably been a while. Because even though Florida has struggled as of late, Florida State's usually been in the tournament more times than not. But neither one will find their way into the NCAA tournament this year. I guess the Miami Hurricanes will be holding the flag for the state of Florida, potentially the Florida Atlantic Owls as well, if they find a way to get in. But a very disappointing end for Florida this year. Very disappointing first season for Todd Golden at 16 and 16. I guess if there is a silver lining, if there is ointment on the wound, if you will, Florida did beat Mike White twice. And the fact that they beat Mike White twice is a good thing for the Gators moving forward. Because there's a lot of folks that were happy to see Mike White go. There was a lot of folks that thought Mike White should have stayed in Gainesville. Whatever the thought was, the fact that he was gone, if Mike White would have beaten Todd Golden twice, that would not have looked good, that would not have felt good, and that would not have been good for the University of Florida. Because Todd Golden was able to beat Georgia in Gainesville and beat them again in Athens, I guess that saves a little bit of face on what was a very disappointing 16 and 16 year. But conference tournament play continues tomorrow into Saturday and then selection Sunday. We will know the field of 68 and the tournament will get underway with those first round games in Dayton coming up next Tuesday night and next Wednesday night. Into the world of the National Football League for a moment as well. We're going to talk draft with Ryan Roberts of riseanddraft.com. He is coming up in less than 10 minutes. Boy, this Aaron Rodgers thing to New York may happen. The more people that you talk to, the more people that you hear from, the more people of things that you see, that you read, it does appear it's an Aaron Rodgers court. If he wants to be a New York Jet, he will be a New York Jet. And my question is, when you round that into the AFC talk, all right, you got Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, you got Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, Josh Allen in Buffalo, obviously Trevor Lawrence here in Jacksonville, Justin Herbert in L.A. for the time being, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. People tend to forget Deshaun Watson is in Cleveland. You got a lot of really good quarterbacks. We'll see if Russell Wilson can rebound under Sean Payton in Denver. If Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, 
Where does that put him among the tier of quarterbacks in the AFC? And where does that put the Jets in the tier of teams in the AFC with Aaron Rodgers? He's 38, 39 years old, clearly not what he was five, six, seven years ago. Still very good. He's the Jets' best option. They've gone full court press on him after Derek Carr signed in New Orleans. But I cannot begin to tell you how odd it would be to have Aaron Rodgers in a uniform that was not the Green Bay Packers. Emmett Smith playing in Arizona just didn't make sense. Franco Harris in Seattle did not make sense. Joe Namath with the LA Rams did not make sense. Now, Joe Montana went to Kansas City and made the playoffs. Tom Brady went to Tampa and won a Super Bowl. So it has happened. Brett Favre was good with the Jets and got the the Vikings to the NFC Championship game. But what will Aaron Rodgers do if if he indeed does leave Green Bay? It'll be a fascinating story. He's got the Offensive Rookie of the Year. They got the Defensive Rookie of the Year. There's a lot of talent on the Jets. If Aaron Rodgers goes there, who's the favorite in the AFC East? Is it Josh Allen in Buffalo? Is it Miami? Is it the New York Jets? Be very curious. Very curious. But it does appear, at least trending that way, that potentially Aaron Rodgers to the Jets is picking up a lot of smoke, and we'll see what happens over the coming days. It is halftime on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. We're glad you're with us on a Thursday evening. As always, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube and on Twitter. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there. You can watch the show until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL. On Twitter, you'll see Hacker After Dark there, and you can watch it from the comfort of your own home until 10 o'clock this evening. Let's talk Anthony Richardson. Let's talk Jaguar Draft. Let's talk a little free agency as well with my man Ryan Roberts. He has a terrific website, Rise and Draft, the letter N, riseanddraft.com, a great mock draft simulator, all sorts of information. And I want to find out from Ryan Roberts what he thought of Anthony Richardson and what he thinks the Jaguars will do, not only in round one, but in rounds two and three as well. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday and Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The scouting combine in the rearview mirror. Now all eyes are turning towards free agency, which is next week, and of course the NFL draft now well inside of two months. One of my favorite websites this time of year, Rise and Draft. That's the letter N, riseanddraft.com. Ryan Roberts of riseanddraft.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ryan, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's the best time of the year right now, brother. How's everything for you? We are good, man. Thank you for the time. Know you're very busy post-combine, and let's get right to it, Ryan. Your thoughts on what Anthony Richardson did on Saturday. I mean, to be very, you know, very blunt about it, he didn't do anything that really surprised me much. I mean, I expected him to be 
one of the best athletes that we have ever seen at the quarterback position. You know, like I think that just flip it on the Florida film, you see that stuff, you know, whether it's out of the uh, quarterback run game or it's his ability as, you know, kind of a, a guy that can, you know, work out of structure as a passer. I mean, everything's there from an athleticism perspective. Right. And I feel like right now, some people are getting a little bit too carried away with it all to be completely honest, because, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, some people like to count stuff twice. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we knew Anthony Richardson was a great athlete. So him testing as a great athlete, does that change your evaluation at all? I mean, it really shouldn't, you know, like that just kind of verifies what you saw on film. I mean, I guess your, your argument could be, you know, you know, you thought he was a great athlete, but maybe you didn't think he was the best athletes to maybe ever play the quarterback position. And, and that's a fair argument and one that I can legitimately have, but I think some people are just kind of, getting a little bit too carried away for a guy that we already knew was a great athlete. But, um, you know, when he got to the field portion, when he's kind of throwing the football, I think that it was kind of a microcosm of what you saw at Florida, you know, like there is the high moments are about as high as anyone in this class. You know, his arm is exceptional, but then he'll be late on a, you know, three-step drop. He'll be late, you know, getting the ball out on a 10 yard out and the ball behind. And we know in the NFL, a, a ball that's behind on an out route is eh, it's a pass breakup or an interception most likely. Right. So I think that it was really, for me, it was exciting to see him in person, hear him talk, very articulate young man. There's, you know, a lot of great things about him, but I think we can all be really excited about the upside of what Anthony Richardson brings, but still understand that like this kid's not there yet. Right. Like he's still a guy that needs some time. He needs some live reps there's going to be a, a little bit of a transitional period where some things are going to be difficult for him early on, but the, the long-term is definitely exciting. And I think that was my biggest takeaway from the combine is that yes, tantalizing traits, but we also need to understand that he's not quite ready for that prime time. In my opinion, Ryan Roberts, rise and draft.com. I certainly appreciate that opinion because Ryan, we've obviously talked a lot about Anthony where we are here in Jacksonville and the college football guys, right? The college football media, they look at Anthony Richardson more as a project because they watched every yep. snap that he took at Florida. Meanwhile, the NFL draft guys, which I would kind of put you in, but you obviously do work in college as well, the NFL yep. draft guys just salivate over the kid, and there's really not a lot of people in the middle. You might be the first person, honestly, that I've talked to that might be more in the middle with Anthony Richardson. Well, I think it's important to, to also have both sides, right? Like, it, it is important because, I mean, yes, I watch him and I'm like 6'4", 244 pounds, rocket arm, incredible athlete. Like, all those things are really, really exciting. You know, and as an evaluator, I look at all that together. And I'm just like, you know, in the right situation, Anthony Richardson could be a superstar. There's no doubt about it. But then you look and you say, but there's a lack of production. There's a lack of of starts under his belt. I mean, first year, one year starters on the college level historically have not had a great track record of being successful in the NFL. I mean, outside of like Cam Newton, it's just not a very impressive list. You know, it's the Mark Sanchez's of the world. So see, just kind of understanding that like this, this, um, this projection is going to be very dependent on what situation Anthony Richardson lands in. You know, if he lands in a, a scheme that allows him to develop slowly and really, you know, use the traits that he has early on to kind of be, I don't want to call it a crutch, but to be a help to him as far as he's transitioning from, you know, developing as a passer, I think he could be a superstar. But I also think that we we would be, I think it's a little disingenuous to say, 
that this is not a high risk, high reward type of football player, man. There is a risk here. There absolutely is. If he lands in the wrong situation, this is the type of player that drafting him in the top 10, maybe top five overall, it would, it's going to either make a coach and a general manager look like geniuses or it could potentially cost their job in a couple of years. Like, I just think that there's a little bit of volatility here. I want to bet into him. And as a independent scouts i will bet into him you know because i always tend i always trend much more towards the ceiling than the floor because my job's not on the line right but ultimately people's jobs could be on the line if he is not the guy that they envision or that he is not they're not the right fit for his skill set to be successful at the next level you know we always spend a lot of time on the afc south teams here in jacksonville because of the jaguars and you play these teams twice a year and i'm not sure if you've talked to anybody ryan or if little uh, whispers in the wind have given you any indication, but maybe some whispers down here in Jacksonville are that Indianapolis really seems to like Anthony Richardson. And that's why you're seeing more and more mocks around the internet that have Anthony Richardson maybe heading to the Indianapolis Colts. Have you heard anything along those lines? Yeah. When I was in Indianapolis, there were two names that I had heard, you know, pretty extensively. One was Anthony Richardson. The other one was CJ Stroud. And I think that that is a, fascinating conversation because Chris Ballard's coming into kind of a make it or break it year for him as a general manager. Right. So I think that there's a thought process that, you know, do I want to get the guy that's perceived as maybe the most NFL ready passer in a CJ Stroud, right? Like maybe his, his upside is definitely not near that of Anthony Richardson, for instance, but you know what you're getting. And I think you saw that at the combine, right? Like his footwork is Chris. He's going to get the ball out on time. He's accurate. All those great things. It's just C.J. Stroud, the ceiling might not be incredibly high because he doesn't do a ton of stuff out of structure, right? Like in the structure of an offense, though, I think he can come in and he can be a good player for a team pretty early. So I've heard his name with the Indianapolis Colts. And then I think the other line of thinking, to your point, is that Anthony Richardson, you know, it's a it's, it's a little bit more of a gamble. But, I mean, if Chris, if Chris Ballard gets that guy in there and from day one he starts – showing those flashes and showing the long-term and showing what the future can hold in, in a great way, then that also could save your job because you may have just drafted a superstar into the NFL, right? So I think those are the two lines of thinking. Those are the two guys that I name I've, I've heard definitely the most. I didn't hear much of Bryce Young's name associated with the, with the Indianapolis Colts. Didn't hear Will Levis. It was mostly centered around Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud. Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ryan, when we talked in the past, it was all about the number one pick for the Jaguars the last two years. Well, obviously, it's a lot easier to project that than it is to project number 24, but we think we have an idea about the positions, right? They franchise-tagged Evan Ingram, still could go tight end because they have free agents and Dan Arnold and Chris Manhurts. If they lose Jawan Taylor, maybe they go offensive tackle in round number one, and we've certainly heard the secondary. So let's just take those one at a time where Jacksonville's going to be, Ryan, in that mid-20s part of the first round, Dalton Kincaid, Darnell Washington, Michael Mayer of Notre Dame, it looks like a pretty good tight end class this year. It is. It is. There's a lot of diverse skill sets, which is really exciting in my opinion. I mean, the three guys you just mentioned, like Dalton Kincaid is a 240-ish pounds flex tight end that you know ran out of the slot a ton, right? Like that's kind of his game. Darnell Washington's a – Six six and a half, two hundred and sixty five pounds inline blocker that is 
you know, that's going to, you know, put people in the dirt. And then he's got good linear speed, obviously, to fight to work the seam. Michael Mayer, I think, is kind of a little bit of everything. You know, like he is a nice – he's a very good blocker for, you know, for his position. He's also, you know, can separate as far as route running ability. He's a big guy. He has a physical frame, all that great stuff. So they all bring something completely different to the table. And I think that the, the biggest question is, you know, if that's your target at 24 – which one do you like more with Evan Ingram? You know, which which one, which fit makes sense? For me, I don't know if Dalton Kincaid fits great with him because that's kind of what Evan Ingram is. You know, he's a detached player. He's going to work for the slot a ton. He's more big slot than he is a true inline tight end. So my thought would be Michael Mayer, I think, would fit great. Darnell Washington 24 is a little bit high for me. Like, I do, I do really like Darnell, but I think that's just a bit high for me personally. But I think either way, those both those players would fit really well with a guy like a like an Evan Ingram because you know if it's only for a year, I mean you're still going to be able to play a lot of twelve personnel where you're going to get two of those tight ends on the field, and I think that Mayer Ingram or Washington Ingram can both play off of each other really well. Ryan, if the Jaguars lose Jawan Taylor in free agency, which is certainly a possibility, you move Walker Little to right, Cam Robinson comes back to left, but. Cam Robinson is entering year seven, and he's got a torn ACL and a torn meniscus on his injury resume. So you might need to start replenishing that offensive tackle spot, whether it's at 24 or I think 56 in round two. What does the offensive tackle market in the draft look like at those spots? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of an underrated offensive tackle group, man. It really is. I think you're going to see uh, Paris Johnson go off the board pretty early. I think you're going to see Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern go off the board pretty early. Roger Jones is another guy for Georgia. I think is going to probably go off the board before the 24th overall selection. So Jacksonville is probably not even in the conversation for him, but you will have guys like Darnell Wright from Tennessee. Who's more of a, you know, he's kind of Juwan Taylor ish as far as his style. You know, he's a big physical dude has kind of the makeup of, he could play right tackle. He maybe could play inside a guard. Like he could do a little bit of everything. I actually prefer him inside a guard, but regardless, you know, he's got that type of profile. Dewan Jones, I mean, if you're trying to, you know, groom someone to be the right tackle of the future, potentially at Ohio State, I mean, the kid's 6'8 and a quarter, 375 pounds, just absolutely, absolutely a massive guy and had some nice film this past year. But I th- really think day two, especially if, if you're going to look at that 24 spot and say, you know, we want to tackle for the future, we want to start rebuilding that depth, but we have other bigger needs as far as what 2023 is going to bring. I think you're going to be in the conversation on day two of guys like Jalen Duncan from Maryland, who has a true left tackle blindside profile, really gifted athlete. Blake Freeland from BYU is a player that, I mean, he just blew up the combine at over six foot eight, 302 pounds. I mean, he had a 37 inch vert, ran sub five seconds in the 40, had a 10 plus foot broad jump, really gifted athlete. And Matthew Bergeron's another kid from Syracuse. I think kind of fits the same mold. Like they're a little bit of a, they're a little bit greener as far as, you know, where they are as football players, but all three of those players, Bergeron, Blake Freeland and Jalen Duncan, they all have tremendous upside and very gifted athletes. So any of those guys maybe somewhere in the second round, I think would be a big, big haul because they, they, I think they all have starting level traits on at left tackle in the next level. Final moments here with Ryan Roberts of riseanddraft.com. Ryan, the position that maybe you see the most associated with the Jaguars now that Evan Ingram has been franchised is the cornerback position, whether it's a nickel corner or a guy to play on the outside. Occasionally, you'll see some safety uh, mocks as well, but you see a lot of corners. Uh, Your thoughts at 24, Branch from Alabama 
is a guy we see here a lot at safety, but you see a lot of Keely Ringo at Georgia and a lot of these mocks. What's your thought in that 24 range about some of the guys in the secondary? I think if Brian Branch is there at 24, you just you you take the card up and you and you thank everyone that this was able to happen, man. Like I I love Brian Branch. I think that he is a top 10 overall player in this class, in my opinion. I think he's getting a little bit overanalyzed after the combine because I mean they put him in the cornerback group, which like I understood for a second because you know he played mostly nickel corner for Alabama, so like I understand it, but. He's going to play safety at the next level. He's going to play safety. He's going to play a little bit of nickel in the slot, do all that type of stuff. He's, he's a very versatile piece, similar to what a Minka Fitzpatrick was coming out of Alabama a few years ago. You know, he's got kind of that profile to play a little bit of everywhere. But he ran four five eight, and now people are like, oh, he's not a great athlete. It's just like, uh, it's not really what he was asked to do. That's not really how he wins. So it really doesn't matter tremendously. But he's a scheme-versatile, alignment-versatile football player that has incredible hips playing man coverage in the slot. One of the best tacklers in this class, regardless of position, man. Like, Brian Branch just doesn't miss tackles. He's just a really sound football player in that regard. So, I think he would be a slam dunk. Honestly, you know, you mentioned Keely Ringo. Keely Ringo would not be a slam dunk just for the fact that he's a little bit boomer bust. You know, he's incredible profile, man. 6'2", 200-plus pounds, ran 4'3", 6 at the combine. Tremendous athlete. It's just he gives me kind of a different football player, but he gives me some C.J. Henderson vibes and the fact that I just don't think he plays the football incredibly well. Oh, my field. gosh. Don't mention yeah. that name here in Jacksonville. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, I mean, I, I was low on C.J. Henderson. I do like Keely Rigo a, a considerable bit better than C.J., but like some of those concerns that you had of him being physical down the football field and playing the football in the air, and there's just there's just a little bit of pause that I have with a guy like a Keely Ringo, but – Talent-wise, he's definitely in that conversation as a first-round pick. I think he's a tremendous athlete that still needs to be tutored a little bit. So I, I really do like him, though, as far as you know his his makeup. It's just about maturation with him. But honestly, again, if Brian Branch is there, man, don't overthink it. Just just turn the card in, man. He's a special football player. Ryan, I always tell you it's one of my favorite websites, riseanddraft.com. Tell the good folks here in Jacksonville what they can expect when they head on over to that website. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we really kind of put it as like a one-stop shop for all draft nerds out there. I mean, I have loved the NFL draft since I was a very little kid, and I've always followed it, you know, extensively through the years. And I kind of just wanted to make a little website, you know, not as much content, daily content driven. You know, it, it's more about, you know, we have all the official measurements on the site. We have some past NFS grades. We have, you know, a database that kind of has, you know, birthdays and, and anything that you need to find out about a prospect, it's pretty much in that database. We also have the, the mock draft simulator on there and, you know, some reports occasionally and podcasts and all that type of stuff. But really it's centric, man, to if you want information about these players that your team's going to draft, go over to riseanddraft.com and I, I think we have you pretty much covered there. Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com. He's one of our favorites here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ryan, appreciate the time. Know you're busy after the combine. Let's maybe do it one more time right before the draft. We certainly appreciate it, my friend. Oh, absolutely, brother. I appreciate you as always. There you, there you go. Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com, here with us on Hacker After Dark. Interesting some of the things he said. All the Kiwi Ringo love. He is not a Kiwi Ringo fan. Comparing him to C.J. Henderson, yikes. That is a bad comparison in this city. And then Branch from Alabama, you know, talking about the Minka Fitzpatrick similarities. That would be something. I would sign up for that if they take Branch at that spot 
late in round number one. We'll shift gears. We'll get into the world of college football coming up in just a bit. Mike Huguenin on 3.com. Florida Gator fans, you are into spring football. Florida State Seminole fans, you are into spring football. We'll talk spring storylines in Gainesville and in Tallahassee coming up inside of about 10 minutes from now. I also want to get into the Jacksonville Jaguars a little bit coming back. Something happened today that happens every year this time of year with the Jaguars. Although potentially that'll change in 2024. What is that? I'll tell you next on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Mike Huguenin on 3.com talking Florida spring football, talking Florida State spring football. He's coming up in less than 10 minutes here on Hacker After Dark. I did want to bring this up. So the Jaguars, once again, did not get any compensatory draft picks this year, which is a rite of passage here in Jacksonville. You only get compensatory draft picks when you have free agents that sign elsewhere and actually do something. Arizona get a th- or got a third-round pick as a compensatory pick because they lost Christian Kirk. He came to Jacksonville and was one of the best receivers in the league. Unfortunately, the Jaguars will probably get a compensatory pick next year if they lose Jawan Taylor, potentially if they lose Arden Key. I don't know how many years in a row this is without the Jaguars receiving a compensatory draft pick, but it has been a long, long time long time since that has happened. We've done a lot of NFL tonight. Let's talk a little college ball. Billy Napier in Gainesville, Mike Norvell in Tallahassee, spring football well underway. We'll talk about both Florida, Florida State, and more with my man Mike Hugan and longtime college football writer. He's now with On3.com, and he's next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Spring football going on all over the country, including in Gainesville and over in Tallahassee with both Florida and Florida State now on the field for spring practice. With that, let's go to my friend Mike Huguenin on 3.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, it's been a little while, man. How are you? Doing uh, doing quite well, getting ready for, like you said, the, the start of spring practice, and uh, obviously March Madness is upon us, thankfully. Yeah, yeah, look, it's going to be interesting, at least in our state, Mike, because Florida State, their season's already came to an end. They lost in the ACC tournament in the first round. Florida is not going to the big dance, barring a miracle uh, at the SEC tournament. They're more than likely maybe going to the NIT. Will it feel any different with the Gators and the Knolls not in the big dance this year? No, I don't think so. I think uh, you know, Miami's got an interesting squad. Uh, not the best defensive team, but they are well coached and they get up and down the court. And then uh, FAU. Um, I think that as long as they get to their conference tournament final they're they're getting in that's a very deep team eight deep uh no star player but a lot of guys who can score and they've been you know pretty good for most of the season people are starting to pay attention now that it's march but 
it is sort of the state of basketball in this state is not very good right now. Mike, you piqued my interest. We'll get to football in one moment. But Todd Golden, uh, your thoughts on him in year number one in Gainesville? Well, I think losing Castleton hurt. Um, and, you know, yes, I understand this is the era of the transfer portal. Um, you know, you, you look at what LSU and, and Florida have struggled a little bit, Mike, Mike White at Georgia. And then you look at Missouri with Dennis Gates, a new coach. Um, they're making the NCAA tournament no, no problem. Mississippi State almost certainly going to make it in with a new coach. I, I think Castleton getting hurt um, was obviously a big problem for, for Golden. I think he found a guy he can build around for the future in Riley Kugel. But I think for the most part, the transfers he brought in um, especially Bynum, the kid from VMI, uh, w- was not anything close to being what was expected from him. Will Richard played okay. Um, it was sort of an it was an uneven season, even when Castleton was healthy. Um, you know, do Florida fans really care about basketball? No. So the the pressure on Golden isn't anything close to the pressure that's going to be on Napier. But I think that next season. Um, given what he has coming back in terms of Riley Kugel, he, he's going to have to do really good work in the portal, and we'll we'll see if he can do that. Yeah, it was not a good year, but if there was any ointment on this year, he did beat Mike White twice uh, with True. Florida beating Georgia both times, which was certainly big for Todd Golden. Mike Hugan and On3.com. You mentioned Billy Napier. Year number two of spring ball for Billy Napier in Gainesville. Mike, I said when they started spring practice earlier this week, it's just good they got back out on the field because there's a lot of negative PR surrounding that program, going back to Rashada and then the coaches leaving a couple of weeks ago to the NFL. I just think you needed something to feel good about, and they're on the practice field, and now we have something else to talk about. Yeah, and I think that the recruiting class might have been missing. They could have used two or three more players, obviously. But I think the guys he brought in are highly thought of. Um, I think a lot of those guys on defense are going to play. I'm not sure you're going to play starting roles, but I think that most of the guys on defense brought in uh, as freshmen are are going to play. The transfer portal, the, the Cameron Jackson kid is good. He is underrated. Um, he will be a vital part of the defensive front. Um, the linebackers are okay that he brought in. I think Nunnery can run. Tarada Mitchell is he's a veteran, but he's strictly a run stopper, that kind of stuff. I, I think the talent level overall, top to bottom, is better this year than it was last year just because, again, the freshman class is extremely talented. The problem is they're freshmen. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Graham Mertz. Uh, I think the offensive line, the right tackle spot is a question mark. Do they have any tight ends who can catch? Uh, and they need at least two, I would argue, of the freshman receivers to be immediately productive. So th- there are a lot of questions going into the season, uh, and here we are in March. But you're right, I think Florida, uh, a lot of the noise in the system, as Zook used to refer to it, um, it, now that they're back on the field, the practice field at least, that some of that noise has died down some. Mike, I hate to make this comparison because the guy's a friend and we've had him on the station many times, but is Graham Mertz Austin Appleby 2.0? No, I think he's more talented than that. Um, Appleby um, was limited and had a ceiling 
and he, I think he reached it. I don't think Murch has reached his ceiling. I think part of the issue at Wisconsin, you know, if you watch Wisconsin play the last couple of years or the last decade, frankly, that was an offense straight from 1987. Um, it was not anything close to being cutting edge. They relied heavily on the run, um, and the, the route tree wasn't very good, um, and their receivers weren't very good either. Um, I, I think the talent level of the receivers Mertz will be throwing to is better than anything he had at Wisconsin, assuming the freshmen come through. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, you know, if you're, you know, is Mertz a championship quarterback? No, he was highly regarded as a recruit. He's got some physical tools, but I also think that he did not progress very much at all. He had three offensive coordinators in the last three years. That hurt. Um, I think the offense as a whole hurt. Um, but I also wonder, you know, what, what is his ceiling? I don't think he's reached it, but uh, he's, you know, if, if he can be an adequate college quarterback this year, which is something he has not been, um, I think Florida will have gotten its money's worth from Graham Mertz. Mike Huguenin on 3.com here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, final Gator topic. I want to move to the Knowles in a second, but – you look at the Florida schedule, right, starting at Utah, and then we all know it's at LSU later in the year. Florida State, Georgia, at South Carolina is going to be tough. At Missouri is going to be tough. I mean, you look at that schedule, Mike, of the 12 games, I have them being a favorite in maybe three of them with Arkansas and Missouri being toss-ups, and the other seven, they're going to be underdogs, right? I mean, it's it could be a long year in Gainesville. Yeah, it could, and the Utah game – you know, last year they they beat Utah, a preseason top ten team, and I think everybody's expectations sort of got out of whack. Um, and, and Utah ended up did end up winning the Pac-12. This Utah team will be a little bit different because um, Cam Rising towards ACL and is coming back from ACL. And if if he plays against Florida in September, he won't be 100%. Um, but this this is a difficult schedule. Tennessee is obviously on paper better, Georgia vastly better, Florida State better. Um, South Carolina is getting a lot of preseason love, though. A, a lot of people tend to forget, I think, that Florida blew South Carolina's doors in last year. So, um, you know, but, you know, it, I, I think, if, you know, if Florida, if Florida's defense had played, you know, I mentioned before, if Graham Mertz is adequate, um, if Florida's defense last year were adequate, I think Florida would have been an eight and fourteen. Um, we'll see if our Austin Armstrong is an upgrade over Patrick Tony. Again, I think he'll have more talent to work with, even if it is young talent. But the schedule, yeah, I think if I'm Napier, I'm looking at that schedule. I'm like, I don't want to open on the road against Utah. I don't want to play Tennessee in September. Um, it, it, you know, I don't want to play Georgia at all. But I understand I have to. Um, it, it is it is a, a tough schedule for a team with a lot of question marks. Yeah, I can't imagine the last time an SEC team went out to Salt Lake City. Those people are going to be all sorts of fired up for that game on Labor Day weekend. A couple of more from Mike Hugan and On3.com. Mike, Florida State has also began spring practice. Mike Norvell with a brand-new contract extension. And, boy, some high, high expectations for the Knowles coming into 2023. Yeah, he did a great job in the transfer portal again. Um, has his quarterback coming back, and Jordan Travis has made phenomenal strides the last couple of seasons. 
I think he's going to go into the season in the top 10 or 12 Heisman guys. Uh, Trey Benson was a portal find last year. I think he was better than people thought, considering he had been banged up with some knee issues at Oregon. I think Johnny Wilson was a pleasant surprise as well. Heck, the best receiver, I think, that got out of the portal last year did not play it down because Winston Wright was involved in that preseason auto accident. And if he could come back, Winston Wright was a 60-catch guy at West Virginia. Um, They get Braden Fisk, a really good defensive tackle from Western Michigan. They added Daryl Jackson, a defensive tackle from Miami. He was a starter for the Canes. Jeremiah Byers was probably one of the top three or four offensive linemen available in the portal coming from UTEP. It it was an impressive haul out of the portal. Um, Obviously getting Jared Verse back for another season's big. Um, Still think the secondary has some work to do, though adding uh, Fentrell Cypress from Virginia is a big positive there. Um, And I don't think there's a star linebacker per se, but I think this is definitely a team that on paper – is should should contend for the ACC title, uh, and again on paper FSU and Clemson are, I think clearly the two best teams uh, in the ACC with North Carolina uh, maybe third because of um, Drake May. But th- this is a different kind of off season for Florida State. Um, I got to think FSU fans are not like oh my God what's going to happen. It's oh my God what could happen. And this could be, yeah, a very big season for the Knowles. Final moments here with Mike Hugan at On3.com. Mike, one question about each conference. We'll begin in the ACC. Florida State's not happy. They've gone public with that. A.D. Michael Alford uh, talking about the revenue and what the Big Ten and the SEC teams are bringing in compared to what the ACC teams are bringing in. How sticky could that get? I mean, if Florida State going public like that, what's been the ACC's response to your knowledge and and could that get ugly between uh, Florida State, maybe Clemson, and the Atlantic Coast Conference? Well, I think that Alfred said publicly what a lot of ADs in that league have been saying privately for the last three years. Uh, the grant of rights through 2036, it might have been reasonable when it was signed, um, but it's certainly not reasonable now. And in retrospect, the idea of signing a long-term contract involving anything in college athletics is a mistake because it changes it can change seismically in you know two days i mean look what happened with the pac-12 and usc and ucla left so um i think the teams that are most upset concerned are fsu and clemson which have sort of gone public i also think north carolina is not very happy and north carolina is a program that any league would take um, you know, the league is based in North Carolina. It's a, got four teams in that league. North Carolina has sort of been the uh, lead dog in that conference overall for a long time. Um, good academic school. Um, it is the school in the state of North Carolina. I know Duke is there, Wake's there, private schools with limited alumni. NC State is there, obviously a big school, big state school. North Carolina, though, holds, holds the power. So I think North Carolina – is the other school in the ACC that's not ex- exceedingly happy with uh, with the uh, TV deal. But, again, FSU did go public. Clemson has made some noise. Um, and it's it's not viable getting $20 million a year from your media rights contract 
when the SEC and, and Big Ten schools are going to be making up worth of sixty and seventy million. Yeah, particularly when Florida State's uh, recruiting against the likes of Florida, Georgia, Alabama. That's facility money. That's coaching salary. That's NIL. That's a lot of different things that could be used in that situation. Finally, Mike, the Southeastern Conference. We don't know this as a fact yet, but rumors are leaking out. It's going to go to nine conference games once Texas and Oklahoma arrive. And the rumor is three constant games, meaning every year, six rotators. So you'll play every team in the SEC much more often than you do now. The word on Florida, at least the rumor on Florida, their three constants might be Georgia, South Carolina, and Oklahoma. And if that proves to be true, then you lose the Tennessee game every year, you'll lose the LSU game every year. Mike, if that happens, what would the Gator fans' response be, in your opinion? I I think they'd be disappointed. I, I think part of the allure of adding Oklahoma and Texas, you want to play those teams. Yes. Uh, I also think, though, that in the SEC, the idea of being able to drive to a, an opponent's stadium is a, a positive, and you ain't driving from anywhere in Florida to Norman, Oklahoma. I also think if I'm Oklahoma – I'm a little bit irked because I want Texas, Texas A&M, and either Missouri or Arkansas. Those are all easily drivable for my fans. Um, you know, Georgia obviously seems to be a given for Florida. South Carolina, I think Florida fans would be like, eh, who really cares? Uh, I think they would want Tennessee and even LSU more than they want Georgia, uh, South Carolina. Rather, um, it is going to be interesting. You know, I know Saban went public last week. We don't want to play LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn every year. Evidently, no one told Coach Saban they've been playing those three teams every year since 1964, <laughs> as it is. Yeah. So I think the one given is that every coach or every athletic department is going to be at least a little bit missed about the annual opponents. Um, but, and you know, you can't give us three strong teams, but then that means, you know, if you're Vanderbilt, you're sitting there going, well, we're stuck no matter who we play. Um, so it, it is going to be interesting. And again, no matter, no matter who they choose, coaches are going to be ticked off. On three.com is a terrific resource for college football fans. Mike Huguenin is a big part of on three.com. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 10, 10 XL. Mike, I know you're busy. Thank you for the time. Let's talk again towards the uh, spring games here in about a month or so. Thank you, Excellent. my friend. Always enjoy it, man. Thanks a bunch. And thank you to my friend Mike Huguenin on 3.com for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as Florida, Florida State, Miami, the big three in the state of Florida have all begun. Spring football practice, in fact, spring practice really going on all over the country. And believe it or not, spring games have already started and will continue throughout March and certainly into early and mid-April. And, and look, there's a lot going on with those three schools, right? Year two for Billy Napier in Gainesville, trying to turn things around. Year two for Mario Cristobal in Miami, likewise, trying to turn things around. And as far as Florida State goes, it's good times, right? Coming off a 10-win season, a ton of expectations coming out of Tallahassee heading into 2023. But again, Florida, Florida State, and Miami all on the field for spring football, and we'll keep you updated as things move along here over the next month. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL 
and 92.5 FM. We got a lot of people to thank, including, again, Mike Huguenin on 3.com. Such a valuable resource on 3.com is for college football fans, and we certainly thank Mike for his time tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you to my man Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. Chad's the kind of guy that you don't want to know his answer. Don't ask him the question because he doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot. He tells you what he thinks. We've had him on for years, and we always appreciate that perspective. And again, thank you to Chad Forbes for joining us tonight. And Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft, the letter N, riseanddraft.com. As we talked, Anthony Richardson, we talked Jacksonville Jaguars and more. And again, Jaguar fans, go check out his website, riseanddraft.com. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week, and we will do it all over again. Thank you to Anthony Salazar for pinch hitting tonight for Dylan Denmark. Anthony, great job, brother. Appreciate your work tonight. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.